Good morning. My name is Spencer Bros, and I'm a pastor here at St. Stephen's Church as well. And it is a blessing to be with you today as we gather to worship. Not in worship as a place or an event, but as a verb, as an activity. As we gather as a, as a people of God, whether we're physically gathered in the space or joined uh, with us virtually, we are gathered in Jesus' name to praise our God and to give God the opportunity to speak into our hearts and lives as well. As I was preparing for the sermon this week, I missed the editing date of our bulletin. Changed my scripture passage, not the sermon topic or content so much, but at least the passage I wanted to focus on. So it's not what's in your bulletin, but the words are proper on the screen. We hear from Luke's gospel. This is a, toward the end of, of, that, of that one book or one message, and it's after the resurrection and a story of an encounter of the risen Savior. Now on that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us, while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
after that song. I'm in a whole other place than where I wanted to start this sermon, but we're going to start it because that's where I have it on here, I'll, and I'll get lost, and we don't want to circle the airport while I tried to land the plane. <laughs> habits. Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, defines habits as a usual way of behaving, something that a person does often in a regular and repeated way. There's an urban myth around how many times we must do something for us to establish a habit. For a long time, we used the number 21. 21 behaviors is what it took for us to establish a, a behavior, good or bad, intentionally or not, to establish that behavior. But uh, recent, recent science around psychology tells us that it's not so specific. It can range anywhere from 18 to 254 days for a person to establish a pattern. The average of that is 66 days, um, not averaging those two numbers, but a typical average uh, is 66 days for a new behavior to become automatic. Habits are part of every aspect of our lives, as I said, good or bad. Hopefully you have habits like brushing your teeth on a regular basis, looking both ways before you cross the street. I think I still do that uh, even on one-way streets. As I'm, as I'm going about. Or maybe you struggle with a habit you'd rather not keep, like chewing your nails or clicking the end of a pen, although that tends not to bother, bother the one doing it, it tends to bother those around us. We also have habits related to our lives of faith. Our holy habits help us to live faithfully, even under the most challenging of times or the distracting situations. We're not saved by these habits, by the way. I just want to put that out front. The things that we do do not save us. That's Jesus' work. These things that we do help us to continue to grow into our salvation, to grow into the fullness of our faith as we explore what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Over the next several weeks, we're going to explore five holy habits. Aspects of who we are as a people of God, as a community of faith, as the body of Christ, of how to develop our faith alongside one another. Worship is one. Next, sharing the good news, making disciples, giving, and changing the world. And today we're going to focus on worship. You may have received in the mail or in hand as you came into the sanctuary, I guess last Sunday we were handing them out, <clears throat> was a, a postcard announcing the beginning of our stewardship campaign and begins now. Welcome, you're in the middle of the stewardship campaign. Initially, we had been thinking of this, of this series in the terms of calling it, it takes a congregation to worship, to give, to all those other things I mentioned before. But the more we played with the, with the ideas and, and talked about them, they took the shape of holy habits in our lives. And worship is indeed a part of it. But uh, the scripture passage that is the overall passage for our campaign is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Where does that cheerfulness come 
from. Whether we apply it to giving or any of the other holy habits, I believe it is a part of an overall deepening and maturing relationship with God that sees all of our lives with him and with those who also love him as an act of joyous gratitude for what God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do. As we begin in faith, we most likely have to work hard to establish those routines of faith. We, we force ourselves to pick up the Bible and read it. It sounds horrible to say, I, I, I know, but imagine yourself at the beginning. We're about to give third graders our Bible, their Bibles, right? I remember getting my Bible, and it wasn't about the content that I was excited about. It was about, it was my Bible that the church gave me. I remember that. My mom still has it. But it took a while to grow, to love the content of what's inside. Maybe we we begin our prayer lives by squeezing in 10 minutes here, and that might be generous. Maybe it's more like two. But as we develop our faith, we, we find ourselves not having to squeeze prayer into our life. We find ourselves living around our prayers. And maybe you still moan early on a Sunday morning getting out of bed to come to worship. But you come and you gather. And there are more. There are more habits that we have to grow into and learn to love as we joyfully and cheerfully express our love to God. So again, as I said earlier, we're going we're gonna to talk about worship today. And, and worship is meant to be an encounter with the living God. God is with us all the time, everywhere. I, I hope you appreciate that. God is, is everywhere. He goes ahead of us, he comes behind us, and is all the places in between. But when we gather for worship on purpose, whether you're in the, in the building or joining us from afar, when it's on purpose, gathered together to express our love towards God, we, we invite God to make himself known so that we hope to have an encounter. Sometimes it's a supernatural one, but more often than not, it's, it's a felt thing as we gather as God's people. The Emmaus account, the scripture reading for today, is actually, has actually become, and became rather quickly, a sort of pattern for worship among Christians. At the beginning it says, as on the first day of the, at the beginning it says the third day, they were walking uh, with Jesus. They didn't know who it was. So it was on the third day after his crucifixion. They worshipped. They didn't know that's what they were getting ready to do, but they were. That's part of why we worship on Sunday. We worship on the resurrection. If you, you, know, you probably know that the true Sabbath, the Hebrew Sabbath, begins at sundown on Friday and goes until, well, to, yeah, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But as Christians, we adopted Sunday as our day of worship because that was the day of the resurrection. And we, and we see that happening here in the Emmaus account. We see that these two disciples, as they were talking with Jesus, they poured out to him all the stuff that was going on within them. They just laid it at Jesus' feet. <laughs> and I even love, how in the world can you not know what happened in Jerusalem? I love that as a statement. And, rem- and, and, I, <laughs> and I imagine being myself afterwards going, I can't believe I just said that to Jesus. 
because I can't imagine that came across very nice. But anyway, in my, I, I read it in my head with a little sass. But as they're doing that, they're pouring out all this stuff to him. And as they poured it out, it left their hearts open to hear what Jesus had to say to them so they could receive what was there for them to hear, to know. And the same can be true for us. And it does say that Jesus opened the scriptures to them. And they acknowledged that. Didn't our hearts burn when he was, when he was sharing that to, with us? So we hear the scriptures opened for us. So that our hearts may be filled with the Spirit. There's even an invitation. They were faced with the decision to respond by, uh, by Jesus, to invite Jesus to stay with them. Jesus was getting ready to go on to Emmaus. He was going on ahead as they stopped walking. It doesn't say explicitly, but it sounds like they stopped at a, at a home. And it was getting dark. So they invited him to stay before walking on the road, which would have been unsafe. We have that opportunity to continuously this is not a once-in-a-lifetime event, but continuously invite Jesus to stay with us. They even celebrated communion. They even celebrated communion, and they, and they didn't know what they were doing until Jesus blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. For us, as we celebrate communion, maybe Minu and I who are saying the words and touching the bread and the, and the cup but it is Christ himself who continues to offer, extend that blessing towards us. And then he disappeared. And, and what we didn't read is they go off to tell the other disciples. At the end of our worship, we were meant to go out into the world and continue to share the good news. Emmaus, the road to Emmaus story lays out a, a, an idea of what worship looks like. What it means to be centered in that time around the person of Jesus, even when we're not always explicitly aware of him. To center our, our, our hopes and our dreams as well as our sorrows and our hurts. To allow God that opportunity to speak into us, to fill us, and to inspire us. That's the burning heart, is this inspire, inspiration. By the way, breaking down that word, I don't know how well it does if you go to the original ideas of that word inspired, but it's the spirit in, if you break that word apart. To be inspired, truly inspired, is that the Holy Spirit is in you, speaking to you and through you. That's, that's the concept of being inspired. It's my earnest belief that worship as a, as a people of God, as the body of Christ, is the very center of our Christian faith. The church and, and, and all churches have separate opportunities for other stuff, to study, to serve, to fellowship, to do a number of good and wonderful things. But it tends to break us up into smaller groups. There is no other activity where the, the majority of us or a great number of us can gather together to, to express our praise to God at one time, to hear a similar message, and to, and to worship in a similar manner, whether you're in the room or, or joining us virtually. We are connected to something larger than ourselves. And we, and, we, and we are connected by that larger identity, even if we might be separated by other ideas of the world and in our faith. 
And today, as we gather for worship, we gather around the table of grace. And not just with the folks in the room or the folks joining, those of you joining us virtually. Today is World Communion Sunday. Many churches, many types of churches, denominations, even within the United Methodist tradition, have a different idea of frequency of how we take communion, celebrate communion. Some churches celebrate weekly. Some celebrate monthly. Others celebrate quarterly. But the vast majority of Christians around the world, 2.5 billion of us, will be celebrating Holy Communion today. Yeah. That's a lot of people, and they don't have to be in the room with us to be around the table of grace with us. We're connected to a body of believers that is larger than counting how many people show up on a Sunday morning or how many, how many views we get online. It's around faithful followers of Jesus celebrating the body and the blood of Christ given and shed for us. Holy habits are meant to fill our lives with blessings, whether it's worship, whether it's serving, whether it's sharing the good news, or what have you. They're meant to help us to deepen and develop our faith. They're meant to keep us connected to the ways of Jesus, even when the ways of the world too often get in the way. Philip Halley wrote of, the, of a little village in France, Le Chambon, and I have no idea if I said that right or not. But it's a town of people, unlike others in France, this town, rather, uh, unlike others in France, they hid their Jews from the, from the Nazis during World War II. Halley went there because he was curious. He's like, what is, what are, who are these people? What is their makeup as a people? Wondering what sort of courageous, ethical heroes were part of their collective identity to risk all to do such an extraordinary good. He interviewed people in the villages and was overwhelmed by their ordinariness. There weren't heroes or particularly smart and discerning people. Halley decided that the one factor that united them was their habit of attendance. Sunday after Sunday at their little church where they heard the sermons of their pastor, whose names I will not try to pronounce. Over time, they became, by habit, people who just knew what to do, and they did it. When it came time for them to be courageous, the day the Nazis came to town, they quietly did what was right. One older woman who faked a heart attack when the Nazis came to search her house later said, Pastor always taught us, that there comes a time in every life when a person is asked to do something for Jesus. And when our time came, we knew what to do. They attribute that to their holy habits, particularly to their holy habits of worship. These are things that, again, they don't save us. Our actions don't save us. That's Jesus' job and our belief in him. But our holy habits help us to to develop who we are as followers of God. Help us to more line up our identity with that, the, the identity of Jesus. We are called, the name's Christian means to be little Christ's. To do that, we have to, to be fully that. We have to reflect Christ in our living. And those holy habits help us to do that. 
And the more and the more those habits become a part of our being, it doesn't take away their meaning. It frees up our hearts and our minds and our souls to explore God in more and more beautiful ways, to build our lives around those habits so that our lives, not just those habits, but our lives become as Christ-centered as those habits themselves are. The text that I was going to share today that you see there in, in Luke 19 talks about that if we don't proclaim praise to God, even the rocks, the rocks will cry out because all of creation is built around him and for him. We are made to worship God. Let us build our lives around that, that central act, that holy habit that helps us to express our faith and grow in faith. Amen. Let's spend some time in prayer together. We'll begin in silence just so you have your own opportunity to talk to God. I'll lead us in prayer after that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for always being with us. And thank you for calling us together as your people to gather for worship, to center our hearts, to center our minds, to be at the center of a community of faith. that helps us to grow and guides us when the things of the world pull us away from those things, those holy habits that help us to grow in faith, to support one another and encourage each other in all things, in all ways. And Lord, as we gather as your people, we are conscious of those this morning who are gathered differently, if at all, as a result of the hurricane coming through, those who have no homes, no have no churches for that matter, but have no places to be because the storm took them away from them or destroyed them or ruined them. We pray for those in need. We pray for those who mourn in the midst of loss of life and of, of other things. We pray for those responders who are looking after them and doing their best to take care of them and to rescue those who are in dire need. And Lord, we not only have those prayers in mind, but so many others, those that we bring through these doors that are, that are our own, or perhaps they're for loved ones or friends. Sometimes they're for acquaintances or people who have shared a, a prayer request with us of somebody we don't even know. 
but they're on our hearts, Lord, so we lay them before you, seeking your intervention, your will, and your way. And Lord, we also at the same time ask that as you see fit, use us in response to the prayers of others. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears. Make us available to be your hands, your feet, your presence for others in need around us. And Lord, we also give you thanks for the ability to do so and for all of life's blessings. And the greatest of all, your son. Help us to continuously build our lives around him as our center, focusing everything we are around his love, his life, his purpose and call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.